2: Sports Talk Mississippi on your
0: radio and in the game right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Talk Mississippi with you middle of the week streaming at supertalk.fm Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for being with us. CSPIRE text line is open 601-879-4395 601-879-4395. At Ceaspire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 every day. Now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected, and C is working to make that happen, from differing uh, offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. They're even partnering with UMMC to turn the C Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. Learn more at cspire.com. Slash ceasefire cares we are glad to have you along this afternoon Michael borky what's up on a Wednesday? Uh,
2: almost done with Tiger King, which is the documentary that is uh, shaking the world, especially right now because nobody has anything better to do than watch Netflix and it's the number one thing on Netflix right now and I might be the only person that doesn't enjoy watching it. Have you seen well, it
3: we, yet? we need to no we need to press time out a second. So I've seen lots and lots and lots of people on Twitter talking about Tiger King and what they're watching it. I guess my world is just different than a lot of the people who are currently in quarantine because our routine right now is get up, breakfast, trying to get the kids rolling in the online school. I'm not nearly as helpful as I should be on that. My wife and my mother-in-law have kind of gotten that part of it figured out at least for a little while. Kids make it an hour or so, then they kind of start bouncing off the walls, and then it's get into town, start getting ready for the show, run whatever errands need to be run, do the show, go back out, dinner, a little bit of family time, and then get them to bed. And at that point, I'm kind of done. It's like I may randomly flip channels on television, but I'm not doing the whole Netflix thing, at least not yet. And so I don't really know what Tiger King is. Help me out.
2: It is a seven-part documentary about a guy in Oklahoma uh, who is the owner of a private zoo, if you will, but the conditions are terrible, uh, where he has almost 300 big cats. Tigers, lions, ligers, jaguars, stuff like that. Uh, Terrible conditions. And he got arrested for murder for hire. And they don't really explain that plot until the final episode. But that's how he got famous is because he has a bleached mullet. He's got a bunch of earrings. He has two husbands, um, one of which passed away, but at a time had two husbands and owned this zoo. And he ran for president and he ran for governor of Oklahoma where he got 20% of the vote. I'm not kidding. Um, And it's about... His life in that zoo and then his rivalry with a well-known thing that's actually been featured on Animal Planet called Big Cat Rescue and the woman that runs Big Cat Rescue and the sketchy details around her husband's death and then another person that owns a similar type thing in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and it's a cult and it is just this bizarre twist of these people that own these private zoos and these exotic animals and these big cats and they're doing a bunch of illegal stuff and abusing these animals. Like, everybody's talking about how awesome it is, and, all these people are crazy, and, oh, look at this guy, and it's... If you really look at the way they're treating tigers and and these big cats, it's abuse, and it's terrible, and all of them should go to prison. But I'm watching it because everybody else is.
3: Hmm. I was just scrolling through some Google images of Tiger King, and somebody tweeted... It was the tonic I needed after being put into lockdown tonight, literally howling. Mullets, guns, drugs, polygamy, limbs bitten off, slave labor, murder, dodgy outfits, cults.
2: And am, I, am, sh- am I a prude for saying no thanks? No, Richard. See, and my wife looked at me She's last like, night. No thanks. Katie looked at me last night and said, Michael, I don't want to finish this. It's sad. It's sad. It, because the focus is on the people, but the people are famous because they own these animals and treat them like absolute garbage. It's not enjoyable to watch for me at all. And they're all on hey, Dad, drugs. R- Every single one of them's on drugs, and it's just it's awful.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a great big no thanks on this. Hey, Dad, Rippy, what are, what are you doing with Tiger King?
2: My wife is
0: watching it. I haven't I haven't tuned in yet. I'm but not she interested. loves. I I'll probably end up watching it. My wife loves the train wreck TV, though, man. The the more ridiculous it is, the 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 more excited she gets to watch it.
4: I'm gonna finish McMillions first, then probably watch Tiger King.
0: All right
3: what's the what's the story behind McMillions?
4: The FBI busting the McDonald's monopoly fraud. Oh, I'm only an episode in. I started it last night. It's pretty good.
3: So, I remember reading some about that. Like that was a fixed deal. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, they like discovered it because like the like a recent string of winners, like three of them were all related. I don't know how it ends because I wasn't old enough to remember it happening, and I haven't finished it. So, but uh, first episode, pretty good. Okay.
3: Uh, I don't know if I'll get to that one or not. Now, is all this on Netflix or is it streaming in different areas?
4: McMillions is Hulu. Tiger I don't King know where is Netflix. I, the Tiger thing is. Gotcha.
3: Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Uh, glad to have you along again. The C Spire text line is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire customer inspired. Are you watching it? I guess. Um, some of the responses on Twitter Tiger King, thanks for the skinny, hard no for me.
2: Yeah, don't the first uh, couple episodes grab you because it's like this is the weirdest person I've ever seen in my life. And then they go to this guy in Myrtle Beach and he owns an elephant and it's like th- these are weird people but they don't really dive into the the crime, the drug use and the animal abuse until later. So they grab you and hook you first. And then kind of slowly unravel about how awful these people really are. And then you feel gross for watching it.
3: Julian Tupelo says she's suffering from no sports syndrome. Paul in Greenville with regard to Tiger King. What the heck? Uh, Larry and Jackson says, not my thing. Buddy or... uh, uh, Let's see here. Buddy, we'll circle back to this. You've got a question that is... uh, Apropos of nothing, at least as it pertains to uh, Lion King. Uh, hey, I don't think I'm going to finish it. But does the Collins Zoo get
2: mentioned? It, it, it does not. No, it doesn't. These are, they I mean, these are tiger. large operations. We're talking. I mean, the the Tiger King guy has almost 300 of them. <clears throat>
1: hmm.
3: Nope, not at all interested in the Tiger King. That's another texter. Cody says the China virus ruined the Ole Miss baseball season, of course, and we finally have an amazing team banning Chinese food for the remainder of 2020. That's from Cody in Guntown. Uh, Rippy, I've been been pondering this question a little bit lately. I've had a lot of people say to me and – you know, the last couple of weeks, after the start that Ole Miss had, oh, man, can you believe the season's over? Man, this was going to be the team. This was going to be the year. And a lot of those very same people, if you want to rewind to May or June last year, badly wanted to see change in the program, were not optimistic at all going into the year. It's amazing what just winning a few games and having a team that is fun to watch can do to one short term memory and two just the overall psyche of a fan base.
4: What's the question?
3: I I don't know. I thought that maybe you would expand on that idea. (laughs) Oh no, 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 yeah, no, I
4: agree. I thought like I thought you were gonna hit me with like a question at the end. Like I I was a little confused where that was going. Yeah, I mean it was a very likable team. People were excited about it. Like I think after football season the fan base saw some positive momentum. It was a likable team, played with a bunch of emotion and you know, they were playing really well, so I guess it would have been hard to not have that feeling uh rooting for the team.
3: Have you had similar experiences where people will be like, Oh man, can you believe this was this team I they were going all the way.
4: I've or been they? practicing social distancing and not talking to folks, but uh, yeah, to some degree. I mean people were pretty excited about it. I don't uh but again and again it was March, like you weren't even into SEC play yet. You never know what's gonna happen or what would have happened, excuse me.
3: Let's um let's do this when we come back. Let's play a little little uh COVID nineteen prediction game. It's all gone away, so there's no way to be wrong. Where would Mississippi State be in terms of their SEC baseball record right now as they get set to roll into weekend number three? Where would Ole Miss be right now, rolling into weekend number three? We'll talk about that when we come back. I'll try to be sure to ask Rippy a question so we can keep him involved as well. Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio. And online at supertalk.fm. Teasefire Text Line, did Richard call it the Lion King, or am I hallucinating? Hey, Dad, you're usually our resident fact checker. You are ready to pounce when I pronounce something wrong or uh, misspeak. Did I call it the Lion King?
0: Did you not hear me laugh?
3: I thought you were laughing at Rippy.
0: No, that was after. I-, I laughed when you said Lion King. Oh, did I oh, say I Lion King? I completely missed it. Yes,
3: <laughs> Hakuna Matata. <laughs> if you told me Lion King was streaming tonight, I might watch that. I guess it is on <laughs> Disney Plus.
2: Have you seen the the new one? Is it good? Yes, and yes. Probably better than the garbage I watched last night, that's for sure.
3: Yes, I I, I, would, I would feel confident telling you that the semi-real-life version of Lion King that came out a few months back is better than Tiger King without having watched Tiger King.
2: It's a fair assumption. Just going out on a limb there.
3: All right, let's say that uh, two weekends are in the book, that games had actually been played, Look into your rear-facing. It's impossible to be wrong, crystal ball, Brian Haydad, and mm. tell me how has Mississippi State done in SEC play so far? They opened things up at home against Arkansas, and then went on the road to face LSU.
0: I think I'm going to have them three and three. Okay, I think I feel like they how had they some get momentum. Three and three. I think they took the series from Arkansas and lost the series at LSU. I think they were two and one against the Hogs and one and two against the Tigers. Just I've seen so many teams go down to Baton Rouge and not get the job done down there. I think State may have won the Friday game because I really like McLeod, but I don't know about Saturday and Sunday. But I felt like State had some momentum built up, so I think they would have carried that into that first weekend and taken the series from Arkansas and then come back and probably lost the series to LSU. But we'll be sitting at 3-3 three and three with two of the toughest of their uh, of their weekend series out of the way.
3: Okay. So 3-3 three and three after two weeks. Rippy, what about Ole Miss? They would have opened at home with a three-game series against LSU, and then last weekend would have played three games on the road against Texas a and
4: I'll go probably three and three. I could have seen four and two as well, but I don't know anything other than six and zero, and I would have been crucified because I remember giving some level of their performance against Louisville B plus and just got absolutely uh, crapped on for it. So I don't know. I'll say three and three as well. Good home series win over LSU and then lose two three at A and M.
3: Reason they would have lost two of three at A and M. A and M's pitching.
4: Yeah, I mean, a good, hard to win on the road.
2: Okay. Borgy, what do you think with those two teams? Um, I, I agree with Haydad and the momentum thing. It felt like maybe that week, or that week, those two days in Biloxi were a momentum shift for Mississippi State. I think they would have carried that wave um, into a series win against Arkansas, who was really struggling um, and then, yeah, I think 3-3 three and three for both. I could see and hear an argument for 4-2 and two for Ole Miss and, and be very comfortable. I mean, they had the nation's, nation's longest winning streak and a pitching staff that was pitching really well, and they were hitting home runs. So, yes, Texas, Texas A&M was very good, and they pitch it really well. But that's an Ole Miss team that was just as, if not better, right now. So, I mean... I understand where people are coming from, the feeling that this was the year. And we did have a texter uh, remind everyone that uh, it always feels that way until the postseason, which isn't entirely true. But it did feel different with this team and their makeup and their mentality. And if they were 4-2, and two, hell, even 5-1, and one, would you have been surprised at all after these two weeks? If Mississippi State, with the way they played against Texas Tech, if they were 4-2 and two, winning both of those series, would you have been surprised? I don't think so. No, and it would have been a
3: heck of a lot of a heck of a lot of fun, kind of watching it all unfold. Lucas in Union says State would be five and one in SEC play. So Lucas is big on Mississippi State kind of bouncing back from where they were. My my only hesitation, Lucas, in going down that road with you, is that the sample size of Mississippi State swinging the bat well was really small. You know, Chris Lamonas told us earlier in the week that. Um, that, you know, they had a stretch where they didn't play well and that most teams in the country would have that at some point and he felt like they were coming out of it and told us that the lasting memory for him of this team was going to be the four days that they spent in Biloxi. And I actually, of everything he said, hey, dad, that was kind of the most interesting thing to me was that they decided to kind of turn that into a little mini spring break, get down there spend some time together as a team, try to get to the point where you're having fun again. And then they played some good baseball for 2 days as well. I just needed to see more than 2 games of swinging the bat pretty well. And it's not like they just blew the scoreboard up in terms of runs, but against a really good team they scored enough to win 2 in a row.
0: I mean, yeah, if anything the pitching won those those series, you know, that series with Houston Harding. Pitching so well and, and Carlisle Kessler the next night and getting, you know, good, good performances from your bullpen. States bats were better down there for sure, but they hadn't come around all the way. That's why I was, I was very interested to see what they were going to do against Arkansas team that had been struggling as well. I think we, I said it on the show that, you know, whoever lost that series was going to find themselves sort of looking in the mirror, wondering, you know, where is our season headed? Um, so I agree with you. You know, I, I, they had not gotten everything back up and running yet. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen with Tanner Allen down the road, but they were playing. They were playing better, and like I said, I thought they would have had enough momentum to take that first series for sure. As far yeah, as like, mean, five was, and one though, gosh, I don't know about going down to LSU. If they were five and one after the first six games, you would have thought, okay, this team's on its way to winning the SEC.
3: Sure, they were certainly playing better than the week in which they lost to. Texas Southern and struggled with Alcorn State, and then lost a series against uh, against Long Beach, obviously. And I don't what? think anybody was completely bailing on this team at that point either. It raised some eyebrows. It caused some eyebrows to raise, but nobody was just like, you know, you know what, they're done. They're not going to be any good. As a talented team, we kept saying that it's a really talented think- team that you think is going to get better.
0: I think everything that we perceived from that team that for for the last month was based off that Texas Southern game. Because I mean going down to Long Beach, it was obviously much improved. Going on the road and losing two out of three. Yeah, you didn't hit the ball well, but you lose two out of three on the road. That that happens all the time. Uh but it's that Texas Southern loss that just left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. I thought that winning those two games against Texas Tech would have erased that, you know, especially from an RPI standpoint to get neutral site wins against a top five team. That that's a that's a huge boost to your RPI. But, you know, I, I agree with every, well, basically everything you're saying here. I just I think that that Texas Southern game is what everybody is just so stuck on. And, and they should be. It's a terrible loss.
3: Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing about where Ole Miss was right now, and we got a message here that says, with all due respect, and I'm really not trying to be that state fan, Richard, but in all honesty, every year looks like the year for Ole Miss until regional start. And that's just not entirely true. Yes, Ole Miss has had its share of issues in the postseason. They've also gotten to seven Super Regionals and a College World Series. Okay, I mean, let's not pretend like they've not had any success in the postseason. Has Ole Miss gotten to as many College World Series as people think they should have gotten to? No, of course not. They haven't. No arguing that. But this team didn't have to be everything that other teams haven't been though it just was this team and i'm kind of looking at it just as this team and also i was kind of sharing with you the way that a lot of people who had been on board with the oh Miss never gets it done in the postseason screw it i'm out to six weeks into the season they're going they're coming up to you and going this is the year let's do it baby and it doesn't take much to get people to believe in a team That's all I'm saying on that front. Um, Lucas said Ole Miss would have been three and three. Here's the message that says Ole Miss would have been five and one. Mississippi State would have been four and two. Holy cow! Would that have been a start to league play? If that's what we'll you'd make that series uh, have in a
0: couple of weeks, something else.
1: Woo!
3: yeah, Yep. Um. Sports Talk, Mississippi, 601-879-4395. 4395 is the, uh, the number on the Seaspire text line. Borky, a poll question, my friend.
2: Yeah, the poll question today. I posted it at about 11 o'clock so we could generate a bunch of responses, and I kind of forgot how sad the state of affairs sports have been in this state for a long time. Um, what is the one sports moment that broke your heart the most? And Ole Miss and State fans Ooh. have... Uh, lengthy responses to that question yeah this
3: is um goodness orky you've got 76 replies to this I mean, this wasn't <laughs> something where you could vote one thing or the other uh it's been up since 11 o'clock this morning or a little after 11 o'clock this morning we will read some of your responses Hey, Dad, our friend Paul Jones at uh, the Bulldogs 24-7 site says, when I was 10 years old, I accidentally hit my dad in the head with my cowbell, and he was bleeding. It wasn't hurt bad, but it still broke my heart to hurt him. That was his most heartbreaking sports moment.
0: Got to be careful with cowbells, man.
3: Caleb tells us how Arkansas's buzzer beater helped lead him to date his now wife. We'll get to some of these stories coming up a little bit later. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. All right, so – The poll question, which is more of a uh, response to a Twitter question today that Michael Borky put out this morning, is what is the one sports moment that broke your heart the most? We're going to read a bunch of your responses, but Caleb, who is a friend of ours and is a talented young play-by-play broadcaster, uh, radio, and who knows, maybe there will be some television in his future as well, he sent us a message that said, I would love to tell this story on the air. So, Caleb, on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Hope you didn't mind me dropping that in. What's up, man?
5: Man, nothing much. Just uh, enjoying a little day on work from home, but enjoying you all in the background.
3: Well, hope you're getting plenty done at home. Okay, so most heartbreaking sports moment But in your case, it ultimately led to your wife.
5: Absolutely. So in back-to-back years, states women go into the Final Four. My family uh, joined along in the journey, Uh, went to both the Final Four in Dallas and then in Columbus. So whenever we got to Columbus, we witnessed the big game against Louisville, won that, and got to the championship round. And sitting there in the crowd to watch that buzzer beater go down for a Rico Gubawale had to be the biggest heartbreak I'd ever had. Uh, in a sports moment. And if you know me, you know Mississippi State sports is a huge centerpiece as far as what I do and what I enjoy in life. So in those moments after the game and the day that uh, came after, I, the heartbreak lasted a long time. And At that point, I really had not had a heartbreak in dating life that was anything close to that. And at okay. that point in time, I kind of had my eye on this girl Uh, who I'd met at church, uh, was living in Hattiesburg at the time, still am. And finally I said, you know, after about a couple days, I got over the heartbreak of that shot, and I said, you know, if I can get over that kind of heartbreak in two days, what is the risk that I run of asking this girl to go out on a date with me? And so that in and of itself was the courage boost that gave me the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to go on a date with her. One thing led to another, and uh, as of January 11th, we are now married and happily married at that. Hey,
3: that's fantastic. So you thought that if things didn't go out and your heart was completely broken, it couldn't be any worse than what you had already gone through, and you made it through that, and you said, what the heck, I'll give it a shot.
5: Pretty much, you got it.
3: I love it. Caleb, i got to ask one other thing. So I know you've been a Mississippi State fan your entire life, and you've been to big moments, and you've seen cool stuff, but you've also had heartbreaking moments. If I had asked you, oh, let's say six years ago, if you thought that there was any possible way that the result of a women's college basketball game could be the source of your biggest sports heartbreak, what would your reaction have been?
5: I would say, what sport now? Six years ago, let's see, I, I was probably, I guess, a freshman in college. At that point, Vic Schaefer was already there, I think, if I'm doing all my math right. But at that point, it was just something that professors would get a, give extra credit for going to a game for. And so I, I would have never believed you at that point.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would say that there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that uh, – would uh, would co-sign on that for you caleb glad to hear from you stay safe my friend hopefully we can get everything back to normal here before too terribly much longer
5: hopefully so maybe we'll have some uh games to do play by play on again soon
3: yeah that would be nice that would be nice i uh i was thinking about that earlier today i was scheduled to do tomorrow night and friday night um auburn at alabama in baseball and uh obviously not happening Caleb, good to talk to you. We'll see you soon, my friend. See you around. All right, that's Caleb checking in on the Farm Bureau phone line. Hey, Ed, have you thought of that though? I mean, so I'm sure that there are others that are Mississippi State fans that might cite that particular moment as most disappointing, most heartbreaking. But who would have believed five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago that a women's basketball moment would serve as the biggest heartbreak? In a fan's history,
0: nobody, nobody would have would have bought into that. I mean, I think if you go back, how long has uh, Mike Bianco been at uh, at Ole Miss?
3: Twenty years. This was his twentieth so, season.
0: Okay, so if you go back twenty one years, and I you tell somebody that their biggest heartbreak is going to be baseball, no, I don't think a lot of Ole Miss fans would have believed that. And it's just how you know you start winning and you start buying into things, and you get those emotional investments. And It turns into that. Especially the way that – the game he's talking about, that day against Notre Dame, the way that ended, it's just brutal. Just a – it's not my number one, but that is a brutal, brutal loss.
3: Rippy, what is your biggest sports heartbreak moment?
4: I don't really have – like, I was trying to think about this when it was tweeted out earlier today. I don't – I don't really have like one that really sticks out. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I got irrationally angry at Rocco Mediate losing the U.S. Open to Tiger Woods in that 18-hole <laughs> playoff. I have no idea why that stuck out. Probably because I wasted the whole time watching the thing, rooting for Tiger to lose, which now it would probably be the opposite. Uh-huh.
3: So you were the only person on planet Earth that was rooting against Tiger that day
4: oh no that was tiger at the peak of his powers pre all that stuff i bet there were more people rooting for mediate because yeah, it was like the that, ultimate that you, that's good david point. goliath good point to that point because i didn't even really know who he was he was at the tail end of his career what the career that he had like what that was before that all the tiger became kind of like because remember tiger was public enemy number one for a while i remember skipping you, class in high school to go or i guess it was junior high still at that point to go watch that awkward press conference he gave what year would that have been somewhere that? oh it, that would have been oh nine i guess late 2009 the press conference the 2008 was u.s no, no, open no. at Tory pines
3: was it eight or six
4: 2008 that was the last major right. he won and he won it on a torn acl
1: yeah
3: Rippy were you just too cool to be passionate about like a single sports team?
4: No, not too cool, but like the Cubs never did anything really like substantial when I was a kid. Like I can't honestly sit there and tell you three year old me was really torn up about the uh Super Bowl against the Rams.
1: yeah,
3: and you weren't old enough for Bartman to really have an impact.
1: I, 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 <laughs>
4: uh, I remember. I mean, I was eight or nine, but like I didn't fully grasp the moment. Uh, but that actually turned into a big win for me because that guy looks strikingly similar to my father. So that's been a nice thing for the last couple, like, decade <laughs> or so. That's that's a good point.
3: Uh, Borky, biggest heartbreak as a sports fan.
2: Uh, can I do one that was uh, my own doing? Sure. it, it might <laughs>
3: My rules senior have been year, suspended during uh, coronavirus quarantine. Yeah,
4: true. Oh. Um, oh, go ahead, Borky. Uh, but uh, one last thing on that Bartman thing. That was also like at the time not really any like significant. It just remember how retroactive that was in terms of him being the scapegoat.
3: Yeah, but it felt like a big moment in that game.
4: But they scored how many runs later that inning? You had the Gonzalez error, and then you had a whole other game seven. I understand. Sorry, Borky. Yeah, you should be. Uh,
2: (laughs) Now, my senior year, um, final regional golf tournament. So the way South Carolina worked is uh, the states divided into regions, um, but there's only like 10 teams in each region, and ours was the biggest one. But the region tournament, the top two teams that finished made the state championship, but the top two players that didn't uh, that was not on one of those two teams also got to play for an individual state championship. And final round, I go out and even. I bogey 10, 11, and 12 to get to three over. I birdie the fifth hole on the back, so it was hole number five at, at Fox Run. So I birdie five and I birdie seven. Part eight, I get a scoreboard update. I'm the last group on the course, and my coach comes out to me and says, birdie gets you to the state tournament. Take a three-wood off the tee, hit it right down the middle. I've got like 105 to the pin. I hit a flush little knockdown gap wedge, tiny little cut to a back-right pin. The second I hit it, I said out loud, oh, be really good. Just one of those moments, right? It was a perfect mm-hmm. shot. I am Perfect. Best shot I've hit probably in my life. Hits about a foot and a half up on the pin. Ricochets right into the bunker. I saved par, but (laughs) I finished one shot outside of qualifying for the state tournament.
3: No, I I, I honestly round of one over. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I cried on the way home. Not kidding. Not ashamed.
3: Wow, that's tough.
2: It was brutal.
3: We will uh, we'll get to Hey Dad's biggest moment of heartbreak in sports and we'll get to uh, some of yours as well. You don't want to send them in via Twitter at Sports Talk MISS. You can uh, text them to us on the Ceasefire text line. Also, Rick Cleveland will join us to uh, start the 4 o'clock hour. Spend about half an hour with him. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. All right, some of the responses on Twitter from earlier today Biggest sports heartbreak that you have endured. Benny Keith on Twitter says the 97 Egg Bowl still hurts. That was Matt Luke playing center and uh, Corey Peterson uh, making the catch on the two-point conversion for Ole Miss to win that game. Uh, Went for two. Tommy Tuberville coaching uh, that Ole Miss team. Diane says, the home run by Texas at the 1985 College World Series. Hey, Dad, do you have any recollection of that? You would have been, what, nine? Nine. Eight, nine?
0: I would have been nine. Not really. I obviously know what she's talking about, and I know about it, but don't don't recall it as it is.
3: Was that Mississippi State's best chance prior to 2013 to win it all?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, mean, that's the 85 team. You know, all those great guys.
3: Uh, Corey goes Roy McAvoy at the U.S. Open. It is the greatest 12 of all time, though, immortal. Nice par, David. Well played. Uh, Let's see. Fourth and 25 has got to be up there with the worst single play as far as what it meant for the season in football history. As much as I am glad it happened, sorry, I felt really bad for the fans. So that's Matt, a Mississippi State fan, talking about fourth and 25 Arkansas converting and ultimately getting the win against Ole Miss to keep the Rebels out of Atlanta and the SEC championship in a game that probably they would have had a pretty
2: good chance to win.
4: Yeah, they, Ole Miss had that and they had the Treadwell play in back-to-back years. See,
2: 4th and 25 was a more immediate stop to something greater, but I feel like the Treadwell play is more devastating in the moment because at least uh, – well, I guess in both games it's true, but Old Miss had to stop going for two in overtime. If not for a face mask, Arkansas got a second chance at it. Like, other things had to happen after the fourth and 25 for them to lose that game. But the Treadwell play, going in for the go-ahead touchdown, and you lose your best player and derail your season in a gruesome fashion. Like, I feel like that's just more, there's more to that heartbreak than just a bad play. It's You're going in for the touchdown, drops the ball an inch and a half before the goal line after his ankle, your best player's ankle, shatters at the goal line, and the call was called incorrectly if you look at the rule itself. like His shattered ankle technically should have ruled him down before the fumble. All of those things are worse than just one fumble ruski on 4th and 25 to me.
3: Joey goes with fourth and twenty-five, and then he has infield fly. I'm assuming the infield fly. We're talking about the uh, Braves Cardinals game.
2: What else could it be? Yeah,
3: huh? I mean it's got to be that, right?
2: Right. What is the justification for that call?
3: You mean that it was called an infield fly or right. that
2: it wasn't? See, like the NFC Championship game, it, that was brought up in these as well. Like there. You can, it's a terrible call, it should have never happened, but you can, like, understand why maybe a ref with a bad angle doesn't drop a a flag there. Like, that kind of has an explanation. It's a bad one, but there is one. What is the explanation for that?
3: I don't know, but I was at a buddy of mine's house who was a Braves fan at the time, and he was... I mean,
2: what was he, 20 yards into the
3: outfield? He was out there. Then it was you not had like a, a twenty-minute
4: real-time delay too after that. Like it, it was a scene.
3: Hey, Dad, I don't want to short you your opportunity for airing the grievances of your greatest heartbreak. Which, by the way, we've got two hours left. We're just going to spend half an hour with Rick Cleveland coming up in a uh, in a little while. And one of the things we're going to talk to Rick Cleveland about is you know some of the most uh, unbelievable individual performances that he's seen. Uh, in his uh, four decades or so covering sports in the state of Mississippi what is it for you though Hey, Hayden uh,
0: I just got mentioned the 1997 egg bowl I had to take that, a month that game away is. I I had to take a month away from sports after that game I didn't go to any MSU sporting events for, for a solid month I, I couldn't do it
3: Were you at the game
0: Oh yeah Yeah where were you sitting Yeah student section I was still a student
3: Do you know that I was also sitting in the Mississippi State student section at that game?
0: Did you see a really angry person beating his cowbell into the stands
4: at the end of it? If you did, you saw me. (laughs) Probably. What happened in this game? I was two.
3: I I also Uh, saw the Jim Beam bottle that hit me in the back of the head.
0: You probably said something. Uh, What happened in this game? not,
3: Not individually. It was just more of a... You know, like a reaction, arms go up in the air. Yeah, I didn't go we were, crazy or anything. We were
0: sitting. I was sitting with a friend of mine who went to Ole Miss. Was sitting next to us, and he didn't say anything, but he had this smile on his face. And God Almighty, it was the worst thing ever. I just wanted to kill him. Uh, long story not short, story, very
3: good football teams and uh, yeah. low scoring game. And Ole Miss scored with how much time left? Hey, Dan.
0: Uh, not much. State State was, State was able to get a last drive off, so maybe a minute to go. I have to go back and look.
3: I was thinking there was less than that. But uh, Ole Miss scored and went for two and converted. Uh, I guess it was Stuart Patridge to Corey Peterson, two-point conversion, yeah. and won the game 15-14 to 14 in Starkville. Kind of a yucky weather day. The fight, too. Tommy Tuberville. And the fight that day. I forgot about that. Well, that yeah. one had some layers. Rick Cleveland joins us next on the Farm Bureau. Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. 25th of March, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Don't forget that the C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, joined by the governor. No, not that Governor. Uh, The sports governor in the state of Mississippi, Rick Cleveland, who has uh, covered athletics in the state of Mississippi for a really long time. Rick, hope you're doing well. What What are you doing to keep busy during the uh, strange time that we're in?
6: Oh, I don't know, Richard. I'm trying to. I'm I'm cooking a lot, reading a lot, take uh, long walks every day, and and trying to find something to write about. You know,
3: it's a little more challenging, I guess. this time uh, with with nothing to cover we've kind of bounced around some different ideas in uh, in recent days and have gotten a ton of re- interaction uh, with folks we've talked about some of the the best individual athletes that that you've ever seen just kind of you know kind of across the gamut and we've had folks that are you know young that are in their teen years who've got you know kind of a uh, a limited scope of people that they've seen. And then we've got a gentleman in Jackson who's 91 years old, and he sent us an unbelievable list earlier. Um, if we start there, and, and I want to get to some individual performances as well, but just in terms yeah. of the greatest athletes that you've seen in person, give me three or four that, that stand out above all the rest for you.
6: Well, uh, you know, you are we talking Mississippians or – or no limits. Yeah. um, Well, you know, as far as all around athletes, you know, Arch, Archie Manning would be really high on the list. I mean, he was a great shortstop. He was an all state basketball player and he could do anything on the football field. Uh, he'd be in there. Uh, Johnny Kessinger would be in there for sure. Uh, uh, major league shortstop, uh great basketball player. I mean, Johnny Vault wanted him to play football, but he just, he just wouldn't do it. Um uh, you know, the the best the best guy, the best athlete I've ever seen as far as hand eye, just athletic coordination. Um uh, would be Ray Guy without question. I'm, I've never seen anybody who could do all all the things that he could do with a ball. I mean, just, um, you know, I saw him pick a 93 yard punt that went 110 yards. I saw him pick a 61 yard field goal in a, in a, in a snowstorm. Um, I saw him, uh, Uh, Hit a Memphis State receiver so hard coming across the middle, it knocked his teeth out. Uh, He still holds the school record at USM, career record for pass interceptions. Uh, He could throw a football 80 yards and and make it look easy. Uh, He was a uh, three-time Major League draftee who... Ron Polk will still tell you he had the best college slaughter he ever saw. He threw ninety five miles an hour as well. You know he, he 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 was pretty amazing. The most amazing thing I ever saw him do was beat the Chinese guys in ping pong. Though.
3: So you got to tell me more about that.
6: Well, he, we had a big exchange. You know, I went to school with right, Ray, and he we had a big exchange program with a lot of. Uh, Chinese students and they just sort of dominated the intramural ping pong and, 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 and then Ray uh, who was I guess was Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump beat him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I played golf with him Richard the first time he said he ever played golf. He had been on a driving range before but, I, but he said it was the first time he ever played and the first hole was about a uh, 300 yard par 4 um uh and he he took out he said, Which one of those should I use? And I said, Well, I'd start out with a three wood, it's a little bit easier to hit than a driver and and he'd get the ball on the green. Uh and, and, and I mean,
3: we're talking yeah. about either persimmon or woodhead woods at the time, right? We're, or no, we're,
6: we're talking about persimmon woods and um a lot of a lot of balls or whatever oh my the cheapest balls we could find at the time well it probably it was in a cushioned club special some of your older listeners will remember those
1: uh,
6: but um yeah he he was he was a he, he walked up on the intramural track meet one time at southern and they were having the softball throw and uh He didn't warm up or anything. He said, can I enter this? And they said, well, sure, you're a student. And he threw it 331 feet, and it's still up on the wall down there in the intramural office is the school record. He just threw it one time without warming up.
3: You know, the the crazy thing to me about – well, well, two things. Number one, it's a good thing that Ray Guy – is is a superhuman being because that's the kind of guy that you just can't help but hate. Like, you want to love him and you're impressed by everything, but nobody should be that good at everything they do, but he's just one of the nicest guys ever. And then
6: number uh, he, two... Yeah, he is.
3: He is. Uh, I was just going to say number two, though. I mean, he's, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a punter. And, and so that's kind of where a lot of people stop when they're talking about Ray Guy. But all the other things that you point out, I mean, the, the baseball player that he was, and the defensive back that he was, and all the other stuff that he was able to do is pretty remarkable.
6: Yeah one 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 more story that his high school uh, football coach told me one time is that when you know he never ran track because it coincided with baseball season, and he was and he was a obviously a really 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 good pitcher, um, so. But one year, for some reason or another, he must have run out of innings or something. They lost before the state championship games. So he he was available for the state track meet. And uh, Thompson, Georgia, had a really good team, but they didn't have anybody who could jump. They didn't have a jumper. And the, and the football coach knew that Ray could really jump. So he got him to do the long jump and the high jump. And the track meet was in Atlanta, and on the way over to the meet, they taught him the steps to the triple jump in the aisle of the bus. He'd never done, you know, never done anything like the triple jump before. And he won the high, he won the long jump, the high jump, and finished second in the triple jump. And they won the state track meet.
3: And and, and if you've ever tried, even just kind of playing around to triple jump. That there are few things athletically in life that can make you feel and look more uncoordinated than trying to triple jump. And he goes in and has never done it before. You say he learns the steps on the bus and finishes second? Yeah, I
6: learned steps in the aisle of the bus. Yeah. He just – I mean, there's nothing athletically that he couldn't do. I mean, he hit the longest home run I ever saw at the old Southern Miss baseball park. Uh, he, yeah, he just – just a tremendous athlete, but there have been so I mean, you know, riding sports in Mississippi for 50 years now. I mean, I've seen some stuff now. I mean, Ray, Ray was good. Archie was good. Um, you know, but there have been, there have been many, many others. I mean, think about it, but a guy like Walter Payton, um, never forget going to his spring day where he knocked off about three or four forty yard dashes at four four, four four five, which is really fast for somebody that weighed about two ten, two fifteen. And then when when everybody else had run their forties, he got back at the starting line and, and and yelled for the scouts to time this and he got in a handstand and handstand at forty yards.
3: He got in a handstand and just walked up the line 40 yards?
6: Yeah, 40 yards on his hand, handstand,
3: yeah. Now you're just you're supposed, showing off, hey,
6: Richard, you're, you're supposed to ask me what his time was.
3: Okay. T- t- tell me more.
6: Well, I don't know what his time was, but I guarantee it was a world record. <laughs> Jeez.
3: <laughs> I don't doubt you for one second. R- Rick Cleveland is uh, on your radio. Here's what I want you to be thinking about. We're going to take a quick timeout, Rick. Um, we're talking today about biggest heartbreaking moments in sports. And we've had folks talk about uh, the fourth and 25 play that Ole Miss had against Arkansas. People have mentioned the uh, 2003 game against LSU. Uh, a lot of folks have mentioned the, uh, the shot that Notre Dame hit to uh, knock Mississippi State out in the national championship game. Talking about women's basketball, of course, there. Uh, Artie Crosby's kick has come up, and there have been a number of others. Uh, I I don't know if you have one as a sports fan, but I know you've covered some heartbreaking moments as a writer. Love to hear from that. And then I want to hear the most incredible individual performance that you've seen in the state of Mississippi. We'll continue with Rick Cleveland, who is, uh, I guess, the most accomplished sports writer in the history of the state of Mississippi, and a good friend on the Farm Bureau phone line. But first, we'll take a quick timeout. More coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm.
1: We'll
3: continue our conversation with Rick Cleveland, who has arguably seen more sports in mississippi certainly more significant sports in mississippi than anybody else in the state um rick appreciate you spending some time with us on the farm bureau phone line this afternoon always enjoy our conversations so the the poll question that borky put out today was what is the biggest sports heartbreak that you have endured in your life i don't know if you want to come at this as a fan or just as in terms of what you've covered and the the heartbreak that went along with it for a team or a coach or a player or or a fan base, but you got anything that kind of stands out for you?
6: Well, I I can come at it both ways as as a as a fan. It wasn't that long ago. It was um, um you know since I I don't cover the Saints anymore, I can uh, kind of call. Them you know, I can I can be a fan, and I am. I mean, I've I've been watching them since the first exhibition game of the first year uh, of the Saints. I grew up watching them, and driving, we family would drive down to New Orleans every Sunday to watch them uh, when they played home games at Old Tulane Stadium. And uh, biggest disappointment has to be, without question, what happened to them in in the I. Uh, in the NFC Championship game, uh, year the season before last against the Rams, the uh, the officiating the, the call that was just abysmal, and anybody anybody who has ever seen it will tell you that it was the worst call ever. And you know they they should have been playing in the Super Bowl, and and because of that call, they weren't.
3: All right, so that's it Um, as a fan. And there are a lot of people that can relate to you on that front.
6: Well, you know, it it, it, it was disappointing uh, all the more because it was unjust. You know, there are a lot of disappointments that happen in sports that, you know, they happen just because some guys, sometimes the other guy's better than you are. You know, sometimes the other team's better, or sometimes the other team gets lucky. Uh, sometimes the ball bounces the wrong way, but this was just, you know, it was grand theft. It was just terrible. Uh, don't know anyway. So, so that one, you know, that one stands right out, you know, I've covered, but God, so many major disappointment things for, um, major disappointments for Mississippi teams. But I, I would have to go with the, um. With the Mississippi State Notre Dame uh, women's game, uh, you know national national championship game, you know where that you know state here they have the ball on a breakaway that's going to score the winning bucket, and uh, the the girl I guess it's Morgan Williams it gets just clobbered at mid mid court. No foul, and then Notre Dame comes back and hits a really miracle shot. You know that 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 was that was really really disappointing. You know, I remember the, from years and years ago the time that that Ole Miss was robbed so bad uh, when um, LSU got the extra the extra play at the end of the game. That was, uh, there was just no way that the play for didn't last longer than what was on the clock when it started. Uh so that, that, ha- Harry that Harrison, going.
3: by the way, has not let go of that. I mean we're we're forty years removed from that and he has not let go of the whole timekeeper in Baton Rouge thing. Who
6: who has not let go of
3: it? Harry Harrison. He was on that old miss team.
6: Oh no, Harry uh yeah, of course he had. I mean, I can't imagine having been, been on the field at the time that it happened. I mean just just terrible. But but you know, I'm, i remember uh, one year that uh, that I was covering a game in Tuscaloosa where Southern Miss was beating Alabama right at the end. It was a it was a big game, and both teams were really good at the time. And uh, on the last, you know, the last play of the game, uh, Alabama hit a hell Mary pass over over one of the best cornerbacks in football history, Patrick Sertain,
1: mm-hmm. And
6: um won the game and I've i I've, I've never seen, you know, like fifty or sixty people going to, you know, just sobbing and crying and, and never seen anything well, I was down on the field to do the interviews after the game when it happened. That you know, um uh, ne- never forget that. Um um but there's been you know there's been, been been many of them been a lot of ecstasy too you know so that, that's, you know we were that, talking about what we love so much about sports
3: yeah yeah no uh, no question. We were talking with someone earlier and they mentioned the the game against Notre Dame he was actually mentioning it for different reasons said ultimately it led him to uh, marrying his uh, his current wife. Well, his only wife, but he's happily married now. And anyway, there was kind of a winding path that, that got us to this point. But I just I, I posed the question to Haydad a little while ago. Could could you have imagined five, six, seven years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever the time frame is, where you would have so many fans of a school in Mississippi State in particular, who for their biggest sports heartbreak moment, would go to a women's basketball game.
6: No, uh-uh. I, I I couldn't. That's been one of the most amazing uh, phenomena of my career is watching the rise of uh, women's sports. Because if you you know you're too young to remember this, Richard, but if, but until Title IX, there wasn't any such thing, really, not on that level. You know, yeah. Um, it's it, it's it is. Um, It is, and I I remember the only Olympics that I ever got to cover were the 1996 uh, Summer Games in Atlanta, and it it was an Olympics that was pretty much, uh, the women just kind of took it over. There were so many outstanding performances by women, and and, and in particular the the, uh, basketball team who... Uh, if you remember, that was the year of the Dream Team, the, the men's team, but the women ended up being the, the story of the Olympics and, and Mississippi and Ruthie Bolton was kind of the spark plug of that team. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's watching the rise of women's sports has is, has is, is, is really been remarkable.
3: I know. Getting you to to boil this down to one, we got three or four minutes left to to, uh-huh. to one just most unbelievable performance individually you've seen. So if there are a couple that stand out more than others, give those to me. Just amazing individual performance kind of when all the chips were down.
6: Wow, boy. That's yeah, that's that's you know, the 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 Gerald Glass I don't know. Chris Jackson game, game. That, that 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 would be way on up there. That that would be way on up there. Let me tell you one that that, that a lot of people won't know anything about though. That r- was really something. That when, when I was uh, a kid, uh, I was still in high school, and uh, it was back before freshmen were allowed to play with a varsity. And uh, there was a freshman at LSU named Pete Maravich.
1: Mm-hmm. And there was
6: a freshman at, at Southern Miss named Wendell Ladner, and both of them, both both freshman teams were were undefeated. And this was in, in you know late January, and uh, I've never seen that many people before since in Reed Green Coliseum. And what was funny is I think Southern played Millsaps in the second game, the varsity game, and there was hardly anybody left. <laughs> after the freshman game. But Pete <laughs> Pete went for about 25 points in the first 10 minutes of the game. And then he got knocked. He went in for a layup, and it wasn't Wendell that hit him. I think it was a player named Johnny Petrano that hit him going in and knocked him into the the, the goal bearer, the goal post that held up the, the basket. Yeah. And he went down on the floor and was, his face was a bloody mess. And they, they took him off the court and rushed him over to Forest General Hospital. And uh, Southern came back took the lead. Um, they had a terrific freshman team, too. And Wendell was a great player. But then, uh, all of a sudden, with about ten minutes left on the game, here comes Pete back to the bench. And he's got a big bandage over his head. And his daddy press is walking him and tells them to put him in. And they put him in, and, I mean, he just went nuts. <laughs> he, <laughs> he scored from all over the floor, and they came back and won the game. And uh, that uh, that would go way up on my list of the best individual performances I ever saw.
3: Well, that's uh, that's really cool. Rick, always appreciate your time. Enjoyed the visit this afternoon. We've had a number of text messages that come in and say we could listen to Rick tell stories like this all day. You're the best, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. And uh, hey, hopefully Richard, we'll sneak out on the golf course at some you. point Take this care, summer. Take care, buddy. All right. That's Rick Cleveland. This guy that just uh, doesn't really need much of an introduction. A uh, longtime sports writer. He's said uh, nearly 50 years now in the state of Mississippi. And uh, he is one sports writer of the year in Mississippi more times than any of us can count. Appreciate him joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. And to hear some of uh, what Rick Cleveland uh, had to say about Ray, a guy that he went to school with and is known for a really, really long time. Those
2: are some pretty cool anecdotes. You just never think a punter is that athletic.
0: Yeah, I think we always because just forget about, about it. They're not. We always, we always think about Walter Payton and Jerry Rice and and you just forget about Ray Guy, who was as you know, if a punter can be dominant, if a punter can be a difference maker, he was for all those years with the Raiders.
3: Yeah, uh, well, and and certainly was in his time with uh, with Southern Miss as well. It's almost like an oxymoron, dominant punter. Yeah, well, and and could have been a professional baseball player. Sounds like he if uh, had put his mind to track, he could have done that as uh, as well. Uh, Bork, you said we've got uh, some news on the NFL front in terms of the draft,
2: right? So there's all this uncertainty. The NHL, for example, has postponed their draft, but it sounds like the NFL is going to go through with it. According to Ian Rappaport, they have, uh, have, or will reach out to top prospects and their agents to work out a plan for them to join the draft and have their Jersey holding up and all that good stuff. Uh, from their remote location. So they're going to have the draft on April 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Uh, Obviously not going to have the big fanfare. They're not going to invite players in, but they're working a deal out to let them join the broadcasts virtually and do it that way. So there's questions whether or not they should move it. If they will, I know some GMs have been outspoken about how they don't want the draft to go on as scheduled because they don't get a chance to do individual interviews and stuff like that. But the NFL is going to go through with it anyway. I mean,
3: pardon me for this being my initial reaction, but well, doesn't Ole Miss wish that this had been the case a few years ago? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
3: I'd
2: have to say, yeah.
3: Um, not not the coronavirus outbreak, just a virtual draft, as opposed to uh, let's have them all in New York and parade them out in front of media and all that goes along with that.
2: Well, the parading Um, was the biggest failure in all of that. Like, obviously getting your accounts hacked, but, but that was a bad thing done by a bad actor. But after all of that goes down, you just let this dude that's barely done any media because you had to hide him from him for some reason just walk out in front of NFL media who don't care at all and will ask you anything by himself? Are you kidding? Like,
4: that was the biggest failure in that whole day. But you could, it was leading up to it. You couldn't hide him then. Everyone talks at
2: the draft. You can absolutely say he's not going out there right now, without a doubt. Everybody would have understood. His account got hacked. Him smoking a gas mask bong was all over his own Twitter page. You can tell the media, we'll do a press conference later. He can't talk right now. Or have somebody out there with him to filter the questions. Something. You didn't have to do that. There's not a law that says you do.
3: I wasn't necessarily trying to go down that road. I was just kind of making a one-off comment. But uh, yeah, you're uh, you're right. Things might would have been uh, might would have been different than uh, they turned out to be. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Um, hey, Dad, did we cut you short earlier on uh, on your your biggest disappointment, your biggest heartbreak? I guess we got to the. It was the '97 Egg Bowl for you? Yeah,
0: I, I would prefer not to relive it, if to be totally honest with you. But uh there are three games that that were uh, not mentioned yet that I'm surprised have not been mentioned yet: two Egg Bowls and a basketball game. I'm surprised we haven't mentioned the '83 Egg Bowl with the kick that blows back, the '99 well, Egg Bowl. Yeah, go ahead.
3: '83 Egg Bowl is one that was uh, that popped up a bunch on uh, on Twitter after yeah. Borky put the question out there. So that was, um, wait, yeah, 80, 83 is the windblown kick.
0: Yeah. Then you have the 99 Egg Bowl, the crazy comeback by State and Starkville. No, I haven't seen that one mentioned. And then no one's brought up
2: Bryce Drew yet. The mentions sorry, are who, filled with them. <laughs> who are you talking
1: about? Yeah.
3: I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that name.
4: <laughs> he just got a new gig yeah
3: oh yeah Grand, Grand Canyon what? right
4: <laughs> yep
3: good for him
0: <laughs> you didn't give us yours by the way
3: yeah that that, that would be in the conversation um, mm-hmm. That I don't know that there are that many I mean I guess if I really think back to it I was at a friend's house watching that game and I remember I was standing behind the couch in their living room and I just kind of crumpled to the floor and it was one of those things like that didn't just happen and not only did it happen but it happens oh about a hundred times a year when we get to March. Uh, maybe that's yeah. the only good thing that has come out of uh, No March Madness this year is not getting <laughs> yeah, the Bryce Drew shot ad nauseum uh, this year. So, so Bryce Drew would be one. the 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 Super Regional in Oxford uh, against Virginia, I guess it was, uh, where you get a short arm throw from second base that keeps you know some more things happen, but ultimately. Uh, keeps, um, Ole Miss from going to the College World Series. What year was
2: that? that Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Uh, were you at that game, Borky? Were you in school I, yet? I was then? not. Okay.
3: Um. Yeah. That uh, that certainly is one of them. And then what? F- fourth and twenty-five makes sense for for a lot of reasons, but I would actually. I would actually go back to 2003, and uh-huh. the, the build it, it it's crazy to compare this, okay, because Ole Miss's win against Alabama in 2014, it, it had all the makings, right? I mean, you had College Game Day there, and you had the whole Katy Perry thing, and a great crowd, and, you know, national TV audience on CBS. All of those things went into that day being so incredibly special yet basically everything but college game day in 2003 when Ole Miss hosted LSU and the, the the thing was Ole Miss 2 weeks prior had won at Auburn and then they had the open date so there was 2 weeks to build up to that game against LSU and just an unbelievable atmosphere there were LSU fans everywhere uh, I mean, it was, it was an incredible scene, and the way the game began, you know, where Ole Miss gets the, the pick six early pick in the six. game, and yeah. it's the loudest I've ever heard of the stadium. I mean, not, not even close, and it, it was just pandemonium, and it was a pretty good football game back and forth. You know, everybody goes, oh, well, it cost Ole Miss because of the, you know, Eli Manning's foot gets stepped on. There was a long way to go in that drive, and... Am I, I? I'm not misremembering that there was at least one and maybe a couple of missed field goals by the Lou Grozo winner in that game that could have made a difference as well. Is that? Hey, hey, Dad, you 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 have all of Ole Miss's heartbreaking losses catalog. That that's correct, isn't it?
0: Absolutely correct. Yes.
3: So, I, I am not willing to say. Well, when Eli Manning's foot got stepped on and he went down. That cost Ole Miss that ball game. But that was like the final nail in the coffin. And that was one of those games where I just remember sitting there in the stadium after it was over, just sitting and kind of staring off into the distance as if, like, that, that didn't just happen. That can't happen. Um, it was – remarkable game but for me that's probably the biggest heartbreak moment and it's because I was still a student then too I mean I was so invested and I'd been involved with putting together the big pep rally that happened on the Thursday night before the game I mean it was like a three or four day long just celebration leading up to that and the stakes were so incredibly high and yet it didn't work out. So uh, in terms of biggest heartbreak, that's probably at the uh, the top of the list for me. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon Yes, we've kind of gone down the heartbreak rabbit hole today, and uh, a ton of you have responded, not because we're trying to uh, pile bad news on top, but there's just not a ton going on right now. John Williams, I think this is a good one, hey and and probably one that, I mean, I don't know that everybody would say it's the most heartbreaking moment, but for John, he says this, watching Jake Mangum sitting in the outfield at the end of the College World Series game against Louisville in 2019. That was supposed to be the team to do it.
0: I can recall uh, being in the press box, and when the the balls hit there, uh, i I don't know how, but you know it's just one of those moments where I could see that Mangum knew he wasn't going to get there and the panic that he was running with, and it was panic. He knew he was not going to get there in time. and uh, as soon as the you know everything had he just collapsed, just collapsed out there in the outfield and. Having to go into that locker room, you know, I have been into you know, I went into the locker room after the uh, state loss in the NCAA tournament to Liberty, and, and you know, a couple other times where you know, I've I've had to deal with teams after a big loss, but that one was really like the 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 sadness was just palpable in that locker room because what he said is true they they all they all went to Omaha thinking they were going to win the national championship.
3: Yeah, Wilson is a uh, a Braves fan. He points to the 1996 World Series where Jim Larets hit the home run off of Mark Wohlers, and uh, the Yankees beat the Braves in the World Series. I didn't get to enjoy that one either, uh, in either direction, right? Uh, because I was a Braves fan at the time. It was before I had transitioned into being a lifelong Yankees fan. Yeah.
2: What about the uh, what World Series? series for did you? they win that made you become a Yankees fan?
3: Uh it wasn't after World Series. I'm just, just kidding. Kind
0: of...
3: oh, well, what you. about
0: the O one World Series for you, Richard?
3: Um, yeah, it was more like mid two thousands when I started really following the okay. Yankees closely. Okay. So, but yeah, O one was tough. You know, for for Yankees fans, obviously yeah, losing that one to uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks.
0: And the the guy I really... I mean, Bond, Sosa, Maguire, whatever. To me, Luis Gonzalez is the absolute poster child for the steroid era. What do you mean? That guy hit 50 home runs for no apparent reason. He, he never did anything, groove, anything did did ever did again. Huh? He just kind of got in a groove. Okay. <laughs> just be quiet.
3: He was... Uh... <laughs> He was just seeing it well that year. Yeah,
0: I'm sure he was.
3: Lynn 61 on Twitter says, when Archie's arm was broken at homecoming against Houston in 1970. I I get that. Like, I mean, obviously I wasn't there for that. I mean, that was a decade before I was born. But if you were an Ole Miss fan in that era, that changed everything for that team. Everything. Michael Brown says COVID-19 canceling NCAA baseball season in the College World Series is his biggest sports heartbreak. Yeah. I mean, if you want, want to go with a little recency bias there, I got no problem at all um, with uh, going down that road. Borky, are there any, any – There a couple of off-the-wall ones. I mean, it depends on who you're a fan of. There's Spurs losing to the Heat in 2013. Was heartbreak for, uh, for somebody? Will Larson says the 2014 Alabama football game, the result not necessarily a particular play since it prevented State from winning the SEC.
2: Yeah, we had an Auburn fan chime in and say, uh, I'm an Auburn fan, so how much time do you have? It's like – does every college football or sports fan base think they're the most oppressed in the country? Because I have a feeling a lot of people would trade their program with Auburn and be happy.
0: On the other side of that coin, we had an Alabama fan say the kick six, which is a fantastic example.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a good is. one. Uh, I like stands.
3: 1977 ALCS Game 5 at Kansas City. I was a huge Royals fan, especially that season. Saw a lot of games at Royal Stadium uh, Stadium that year. They had that game in their hands. Let it slip away in the top of the ninth inning. Then Sparky Lyle shut the door in the bottom of the ninth inning. Brother and I drove home from a watch party for two hours in silence. That's good. Appreciate that, Stan. we got the college football fix coming your way in just a couple of minutes. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers take a timeout, and then transition to the three or the 5 o'clock hour, third hour of the show right after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi, thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. C Spire text line is open to you. It's been hopping this afternoon. 601-879-4395 is the number. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're actually taking action to show it through COVID-19. And every day, now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected. And C is working to make that happen. From offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, they're even partnering with UMMC, to turn the C Spire Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. I was looking at by Ford now just a little while ago just to see if there was anything interesting going on. Check out that website, buyfordnow.com, and you can see all about the cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs that Ford has to offer, including the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years, the F-150. There's some good savings that can be had, and Ford understands that this is a difficult time for many. Talk to your local Mississippi Ford dealers about what they might be able to do to help, including six-month payment relief. Alright, today's college football fix Lane Kiffin, head football coach at Ole Miss had a teleconference conference call with local media yesterday. Brian Scott Rippey was on the call. Rippey, what did you learn yesterday?
4: It was really like most, like the last couple we've had in terms of like the te- telephone press conference and you're just kind of asking questions that you don't really have a lot of answers to. I do think that he believes that uh, you know, first-year head coaches in particular at new programs are at a pretty significant disadvantage with no spring practice. Uh, he seemed hopeful that there would be some sort of way to supplement that with some sort of practices, whether that be in the summer leading into fall camp, something like that. But he didn't really want to speculate much as to what that might look like because, like everyone else, he just does. Like no one really seems to know what the plan is. You're just kind of in a wait wait-and-see type of game. Uh, but other than that, it was really just kind of kind of like a lot of the rest of the world where you're just kind of looking around and, and waiting to see what happens. For what it's worth, so the
2: idea has been floated around. I think Ryan Day said earlier today that uh, the NFL-style OTAs is something that would be on the table that they would do in the summer, uh, which is like a non-contact practice, uh, that they would have some kind of OTAs to go to supplement spring practice before they go into actual uh, fall camp. So that idea is out there for whatever that's worth. Hmm. I wonder if that's something that coaches would like. Ryan Day, again, for whatever it's worth, um, he wants that.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you're talking about learning time and installation time, even if you're not talking about physical practices and you're not – Risking injury uh, in that scenario.
4: I was just going to add on top of that, it's it's given more pointed out like us uh, on top of all that, it's kind of getting to know your players on the field and how you coach them and how you run a practice and and seeing them on the field versus watching old film is a gigantic difference. But there's a familiarity thing that really kind of just goes beyond the scheme as well. Yeah.
3: Um, was it all coronavirus related stuff, or were there football questions as well?
4: It was pretty much all coronavirus and how you're handling it.
3: How do you think they handle Rippy the the quarterback battle?
4: I mean, the way they're spinning it is that or not spinning it, the way they look at it or they're telling people they look at it is that it's a it's just a clean slate and everyone's even. Now, whether they look at it completely like that, I don't know. I would imagine you would think the two guys that split time last year would have a little bit of a leg up because they do have film. But aside from that, I don't know how you would really know which way they're leaning or thinking because they haven't been able to do anything with these players.
3: Yeah, I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but I just kind of feel like in the college football world that we're living in right now, after spring practice this year, it feels like somebody would have transferred out at at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, I mean, but but because there will be no spring practice, does that change everything? I mean, does Ole Miss get the entire quarterback room back in the fall? I mean, I guess somebody could potentially transfer out after fall camp starts, but I don't know.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a chance, but you know, someone could see the writing on the wall or try to read the tea leaves and leave before the semester starts. But I mean, one of them you got plumly with the baseball thing. Corral probably at least, I mean, is probably going to be in the thick of it until the very end of fall camp or whenever it is they make a decision. You know, would it be Tisdale? I don't know. That would to me be the most likely candidate. But I guess it is certainly very possible with all of these changes that you do have all three guys back.
3: And then, hey, Dad, all of a sudden the quarterback room at Mississippi State getting pretty uh, pretty crowded. I mean, the expectation is that K.J. Costello is the starter. We don't have spring practice to go through. So kind of the same scenario there with um, with Keaton Thompson and with Garrett Schrader and with Jalen Maiden. And then the news, I guess it was yesterday, that uh, another – uh another guy's transferring in former vanderbilt quarterback who was a red shirt freshman this past season he'll have to sit out for a year but is that now six quarterbacks on the roster is that right
0: i believe that's correct but i do believe that alan walters the the vandy transfer you are referring to is going to end up being a walk-on i think he's just transferring in. i, I don't know that he's how big a factor uh, he expects to be or they expect him to be but it is another guy on on the roster at this point is it's, it's it's interesting, you know. I don't. I don't ever remember having this many quarterbacks in Mississippi State. It wasn't that long ago that State had a spring practice where everybody was hurt except for Tyler Russell. Yeah, you know, Tyler Russell and a couple of walk ons. Dak couldn't practice, and I forget who the third string guy was at that time. And here you are now. You've got six guys, but but there's no time to practice either. So,
3: if you were just guessing at this point, what would your guess be that Garrett Schrader red shirts this coming year?
0: Yes. Yes, I, I would. I would definitely guess. I think the way I, f- I saw it playing out in my mind, you know, back before all this happened, was I thought that uh, both Maiden and Thompson were likely to transfer out, and State would stagger games between Schrader and Rogers, uh, let you know because you, you could get four from from each of them, and yeah. that would probably allow them both to redshirt.
3: But that's obviously assuming health. I mean, right? You, you, but. Do you stand by that still thinking that uh that Keaton Thompson and Jalen Maiden are both transferred?
0: Well now I don't know. Now I don't know. I don't know what I mean it what, gets what, it
3: gets weird now, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean I can't say with certainty. I think, you know, had they gone through the spring and, you know, Schrader had locked up the number two spot, which I thought he would have, then yeah, I thought, you know, that, that gave him time to, to look around. Now I don't know. Feels Barted like we're just in this Columbus. big holding pattern.
3: Yeah, Barton Columbus on the C Spire text line says, Keaton, he goes with Keaton Thomas. I think Keaton Thompson is who we're talking about would be a great wide receiver. <laughs> says, I would move him to the wide receiver slot for a deep downfield man.
0: See, I mean, A, there's no there's no evidence of that. He, he had one catch last year, and it was a short catch against Ole Miss. But two, I mean, he's a great runner as a quarterback, but is he a great runner as a receiver? Is he a guy who can get behind defenses? I, I don't know that that's the case. I mean, he's a... Four high, four five, four six kind of guy. Maybe I don't. I don't see him as a deep threat.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
3: Any other big question marks or, or questions that you can't wait to find the answer to, with regard to Mississippi State? <laughs>
1: Obviously, with or, or the receivers. maybe maybe
3: maybe asked a better way would be. What were you dying to find the answer to this spring? That now you got to wait until August to find out.
0: The receivers were one. How are they going to manage the secondary? Because you had some losses. You know, you lose Dantzler, Brian Cole, uh, Jaquarius Landrews back there, Maurice Smitherman. So you've got young corners. You know, they were talking about moving Jerry and Jones to. I don't know what they're going to call them. Jolie Dunn used to call them dog safeties. The 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 two offside safeties there. Um, You know. The defense. I, I, I feel like we're not paying enough attention to the defense. That's a big change coming there too. It's not as big as it is offensively, but it's still a big change in what they want to do formation wise. And you know who's what the personnel is going to be. I actually, I guess I can say this now. We have an interview lined up with a uh, MSU defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, on the Thunder and Lightning podcast that will air Friday. So I mean, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of questions about Mississippi State. I feel like they, they have talent, and you know, I think they can. You know, they've got enough to win, but at the same time. To be totally honest, Richard, what I was most excited about seeing was just seeing how different the offense was going to look, watching a scrimmage and watching 50, 60 passes happen, seeing how that was going to look.
3: Instead, you'll have to go back and uh, watch Washington State games from last year to
0: understand. I have done that, though. I have, I have watched some old Washington State games.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We will take a time out. When we come back, we will give you this moment in sports history presented by Acoustic Wave. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no downtime. No scars. You can go back to work the very same day. Contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com, or you can uh, give them a call, 855-563-6100. It may be that uh, you can't do that immediately, but give them a call and talk to them about what they specialize in and uh, get the appointment scheduled for uh, as soon as, uh, well, it's safe and easy to, uh, to do that. Borky, this moment in sports history, let's go to the year 2001, and it sounded like this. He almost needs to pretend, Gary, looks to me like, like the hole is up on the top of the ridge, as you said, four or five, maybe even six feet left of the hole, and try and just barely roll it past there. Almost forget about where Steve Williams is standing down there next to the cup. like what he's doing there, just swinging the putter, visualizing.
5: Trying to track the line that he wants. doesn't look like he's aiming left at all. Well, it will break a little left at the start.
3: Johnny, that's better than most. How about in? That is better than most. It may not be quite as iconic as in your life, have you ever? But better than most, better than most, better than most. One of the great calls in golf history. 2001's Tiger sinking that near impossible putt on the famed Island Green at 17 at TPC Sawgrass. That was in the third round, not the final round. That was the Saturday. When he made the putt, play- went on to win the players that year, 14 under, one shot of world-class uh, – I, never mind. I was going to say something ugly. One shot ahead of Vijay
2: Singh. I'll say it. He's boring. Who, Vijay? He's terribly boring to watch. But I know what I you gonna, were trying to say. I was going to say jerk. Yeah.
3: But uh, he is liked by n- – well, I don't know that. No one is a lot. There are not a ton of people that are big VJ fans on, in, around the PGA Tour.
2: And watching him play, I mean, I, I'd rather watch paint dry because at least that gets somewhere. The slowest move. So one shot clear of him.
3: VJ and two shots clear of Bernhard Langer. That was at the 2001 Players. Back when it was still called the Players' Championship. Now
2: just the Players'.
3: So Last golf tournament the of the year? year,
2: yes or no? Uh, no. No.
4: No. Yeah, I say no. Here,
3: here's, here's my question. Will we play all four majors in 2020? Before the calendar turns to 2021, will we play all four major championships?
2: The Masters is getting played, I think. If there is right. golf, the Masters will get played. I mean, you've even seen uh, – uh, tried to slip it into the show last week, but there are area hotels in Augusta. One weekend in October, the rates are hundreds and hundreds of dollars more than they are every other weekend this fall. Well, yeah, we
3: talked about that. Remember, we, we went through the, um, the the Twitter story that the LPGA Tour played uh, uh, player – put out there where she canceled her hotel room or or she got a notification that she had canceled her hotel room and she goes, Oh so I didn't cancel this, you canceled it for me And then when she tried to rebook it
2: it was like six hundred bucks a night. Yeah. So Masters is getting played.
4: I um, guess it all depends on what the la- if like how many majors are affected by this. Like do you get the US open in June? Seems unlikely given that it's San Francisco area. That type of thing. Because then, when Wait, you get no, past the U.S. Open, now three of the four are affected. I thought,
3: I thought San Francisco was PGA. I thought it was the PGA next month that was being played at TPC Harding Park in That's San Francisco. That's right.
2: That's
4: probably what it is. I had that wrong.
2: And yeah, before things really got serious, I remember we joked about how they should move it to Jackson because we didn't have a, a case here yet, and if they needed to play the tournament, well, we had a champion, a few championship courses that you could have played on.
3: I would say that U.S. Open is the least likely because it's supposed to be played at Winged Foot in June. And at last check, we're sitting on like 26,000 coronavirus cases in the state of New York. I mean, even – I mean, let's just take the most – aggressive and optimistic timeline, which the president laid out yesterday where he you know he he wants to see churches full on Easter Sunday in two weeks. I mean I'm all for the optimism. Probably seems a little bit aggressive, but there are certain places that even even if we were to start kind of trending back to the country is open for business again. It's not going to be open for business everywhere. And the places that are being hit the hardest right now I mean, New York is kind of all by itself, and New Orleans slash Louisiana really, really bad right now. So obviously the PGA has been postponed. Next up would be the U.S. Open. Then in July it would be the Open Championship. And and we clearly have already had the Masters
2: postponed. I think the Masters in October will be the first one.
3: Will they attempt to play the U.S. Open in November? Or does this stuff just get washed out this year? I tell you what, when we start talking about it out loud like this, and you you think about schedule conflicts, and can you just bump other tournaments that are scheduled right now so that you can play majors? I'm going to say we don't play all four.
4: Bourke, you don't think the Open Championship, July sixteenth through nineteenth, that George's gets played? No. Based on what?
2: They're already canceling and postponing international events that occur after it.
4: Yeah, but I'd there's the, the Olympics, really the, the, the global greatest gauge. travel
2: element. If they do, it would be without patrons. Hey, th- this idea. Uh, I'm not an expert, but it certainly, based on what is going on in other countries and how long it's taking them to recover, it does not seem like we are going to snap our fingers and be okay in even just a few weeks. It's taken months for other countries to that are still even locked down to flatten the curve, let alone be beyond this thing.
4: So that would put us four. We're about four months out of the July. The late July, that week in July, roughly exactly,
2: so we talked about South Korea getting basketball back. It's been about that long for them, and they did the everything difference. right right away. Did they go back and cancel that. That was China that uh, delayed their
4: return to basketball. I thought the Korea hiatus for the their basketball league was eight weeks.
2: Eight weeks from not playing, but not eight weeks from the exposure and shutdowns and stuff from the virus. You know, I mean, we had NBA basketball two weeks ago.
4: Right, but that would put us at like 20 plus weeks at that point. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I think it's close.
3: Was Rudy Gobert two weeks ago today? That was two weeks ago today. Have you guys thought about that? Feels like a year.
0: It really does feel. But that
3: was only two weeks ago.
0: Today,
2: wow! I don't know. I, I want it to happen. Certainly, just there are. I mean, the cases are still going up. You know, it just it doesn't. It certainly doesn't feel like we are trending in the appropriate direction at the moment. Doesn't mean that people aren't working hard and they're trying to get things better, but the numbers are still going up. And maybe that's because testing's expanded, but that still means we have more cases. You know? I, I just... Until we start going in the other direction, it's hard to imagine a timeline for any of this.
3: All right, so the players was canceled after one round. The Valspar at Innisbrook was canceled. World Golf Championship match play in Austin was canceled. Um... Valero-Texas Open canceled, Masters postponed, RBC canceled, Zurich and New Orleans canceled, Wells Fargo canceled, Byron Nelson canceled, PGA Championship postponed. So all of those events have been canceled with the exception of the PGA and the Masters. After the PGA Championship, you've got uh, Colonial down in Fort Worth, you got the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. Those won't happen. Memorial in Ohio. Jack's Tournament. That seems unlikely. U.S. Open June 18th through the 21st out on Long Island in New York. Mm. What about the FedEx in Memphis? World Golf Championship event July 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Sports Talk, Mississippi. We'll be right back.
1: And you stay. The Morgan
3: mentioned earlier that the draft looks like it's going to happen. We're talking about the NFL draft. Story at NOLA.com with some quotes from Mickey Loomis, GM of the New Orleans Saints, and here's what he had to say. It will be really difficult. I'd be personally in favor of delaying the, dra- the draft so that we can get some of the work done that our scouts and our personnel people ordinarily do. Then... Just the logistics of trying to conduct the draft with not having access to your draft rooms and your offices creates a lot of logistics problems. This is not a fantasy draft that you can conduct with just a list of things on a piece of paper. There's a lot of work that goes into it preparing, and there's a lot of work that is done during the draft that, listen, it'll be very, very difficult to conduct that and to do it in a way that you're doing justice to the process. Borky, you say that there's a lot of truth there. And I acknowledge that you're right. But just because the draft has become a spectacle for fans and technologically superior to what it used to be, does that really mean we can't have one like this? I mean, we're having school all over the world via video conferencing.
2: Yeah. Can't we do that with the draft? Oh, we can. I don't think the question is whether or not it's possible. I think it's more how can you expect us to do the scouting and stuff that we do when we can't get together and we also can't meet with these players. Because you know who you're picking in the first round. That's easy, right? I mean, Cincinnati doesn't have to have a single meeting with Joe Burrow and that's who they're drafting. Miami, all they have to do is know if Tua's healthy. They don't need to interview him. They they know if he's healthy and they're confident that he's healthy, they're picking him. Goes with about everybody in the first round. You know who your first round pick is. But for a team that's drafted as well as they have in the mid to late rounds and finding guys then that have been instant impact players, they've got to have some kind of formula. Because when you get to the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh round, you probably, one, don't have an idea of who's going to be available then and then you might have three guys that there's either a limited film on. There's a reason they're in that spot. And so not being able to sit down with them one-on-one to maybe find out if they fit with your organization, if maybe there's a red flag or two. They don't answer some questions. They don't have answers that you like to your questions. And you can't decide the difference between this defensive tackle who's 6'2", 295, and that defensive tackle who's 6'2", 295. If you can't use your formula... To pick which the better one is, it could I mean mess up the way you go about your business. So logistically, yeah, oh, they can do it. Um, I think honestly, they should do it over seven days because well, why the hell not? Have your first round on a Monday and your seventh round on a Sunday, and just do one round a day and make it a big TV deal because there's nothing else going on. That would be fun. But from the team perspective, I, I mean, I get it fully with all the evaluating that they do, and how important the late rounds and the undrafted free agents are. If you can't meet and evaluate and go to pro days or anything like that, you're just picking off of college film, and that doesn't tell all the story with some of these guys. 30% of the league went undrafted. Hey, Dad, Rippy, what do you guys think?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I get his gripe in terms of not being able to do your normal due diligence, but this is also not a normal situation. You're probably just going to have to go with it.
0: Yeah. If you're going to do business as usual, if you're the NFL, with with the way they handle free agency and and the start of that, then I think you need to stay that, that course. I think you need to stay business as usual and do what you have to do to get the draft done when it's supposed to happen.
3: I keep going back to our conversation with John Harris from last week. And maybe different teams do things differently, but he said that he had asked their scouting department, you know, how big a deal is this? And they said, eh, not that big a deal. Basically, their draft board is set at this point. Now, Mickey Loomis says that much of the information-gathering process in regard to draft-eligible player scouting has not happened yet.
2: Do you believe that? feels like they mostly do it by – I mean, yes, they watch film, but a lot of it is tied to uh, measurables and how they fit their system and and then personal stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I get that there's some evaluations, like, in terms of you want to talk to players and get to know them a little bit that have still got to
2: happen. And they can't do that. Now, I mean, I guess you could do it on Skype or whatever, but not the same.
3: Um, March 13th is when the NFL banned Pro Days and in-person visits to team facilities for draft-eligible players until further notice. The league doubled down on its facility ban for all players not receiving medical treatment on March 16th, and they have postponed uh, the NFL's OTAs indefinitely. Does this have a bigger effect on the off-season in the NFL for current players or the draft? I, I guess that's kind of all one and the same, because you want to get your new players into OTAs as quickly as possible and rookie camps and start the acclimation process.
4: Yeah, but you typically know know what you have in free agents. Not much at all in the draft.
2: Yeah. I don't know if it's a big deal or not. It's Like everything in sports right now, it's a unique – circumstance. So it's not like the Saints are the only team that can't evaluate players and they have to draft not by the seat of their pants, but draft with limited information. They're not the only one, so they're just going to they're going to have to deal with it. I I see where they're coming from though, but uh, how long do you delay it? I mean until the season starts because what what happens if you can't have any in-person meetings until July, late July, and then what are you going to do? Have a draft and then immediately start fall camp uh, or training camp I mean uh, it's tough but I think they should at least alter the way they do the draft though spread it out a little bit more I mean why not At, at this point why not you just want content spread out Seriously. over multiple days. Seriously, how great would that be, though? We come in uh, – well, it would be ideal if they did the first round on Sunday, so we come in on Monday and have the first round to react to. They come in on Tuesday and have the second round to react to. That would be brilliant.
3: Uh, Kendall Rogers at D1 Baseball is you know continuing to cover college baseball. There is a big vote-slash-meeting. The D1 Council on Monday will vote on eligibility relief – and just some bullets that he put on Twitter, some of what you can read in the piece at D1 Baseball, there are a couple of conferences that do not want any eligibility relief. Okay. Timing. Well, need- uh, hold on, let me hit these bullets, and then we'll, we'll go back through them one by one. MLB draft timing is not expected to be released anytime soon and what the American Baseball Coaches Association is doing to aid college baseball with the D1 Council. So if you're interested in reading that piece, you can do so at D1Baseball.com. So, hey, Dad, what were you going to say?
0: If, if there are conferences that don't want that relief, the NCAA needs to make it very clear that it's they can't take it away from everybody because somebody doesn't want it. They just need to make it available to everybody and say, look, if you don't want it, don't take it. I was
3: having a conversation with, a coach earlier this week, uh, not not a baseball or a football coach, and we were kind of talking about the the whole eligibility thing and whether it's you know only seniors that get it or do you do it for everybody. I think the economic piece is really weighing on schools and maybe even the NCAA if you grant. An an extra year of eligibility to everybody. Um, you know w- we can kind of bat a- around whether or not we think it should be weighing th- whether that should be part of the the concern, but it is. And then the other thing is, and, and we've kind of pointed to this, not uh, m- most coaches I wouldn't say this publicly, but privately. They don't want all of their seniors back. Some do. If you gotta you know, baseball's altogether different. And Chris Lamonis hey kinda of pointed to this on Monday when we talked about him Is he's like, Look, man, I love my seniors, but I don't love my seniors more than I love my freshmen or my sophomores or my juniors, and baseball is unique because generally you don't have a bunch of seniors, especially that are your stars. Generally speaking, it's your juniors that You would like to get an extra year for. But it's so complicated in baseball because you have juniors that are draft eligible. Sometimes you have draft eligible sophomores. I don't know what to do with all of this. So complicated. It is so complicated. And every time you ask a question, you don't get an answer. It sparks seven more questions or 17 more questions. We're going to drive ourselves crazy asking questions before it's
1: all said and done.